knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. What they do. They smile in your face. All the time they want to take your place. The backstabbers. Backstabbers. They smile in your face. Could have been the perfect theme song for former President Trump's declaration that he's running for the presidency, the start of which starts with the Republican nomination in 2024. Made at Mar-a-Lago last night. He should have played the OJs in the background, Lou, no doubt about it, here on your 45-minute uh, lunchtime edition at WABC. Uh, rip and read and commentary. Save all your calls to me over the weekend when it's always broadcasting, Curtis. But let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Wow, the sharks are out. The sharks are out for Trump. Look at the, the New York Post, which has had a love-hate relationship with Donald Trump going back to when he was the master builder, going back to his first divorce in which they left his blood in the water, then they made up to break up, made up to break up. Look at this morning's front page. On the very bottom, it says, Florida man makes announcement. Florida man <laughs> makes announcement, right? And then you have to find the story, Lou, on page 26. 26, a little sidebar, it says, been there, done that. But just 720 days to go before the next election, a Florida retiree made the surprise announcement Tuesday night that he was running for president. In a move no political pundit saw coming, avid golfer Donald Trump kicked things off at Mar-a-Lago, his resort and classified documents library. Trump famous for gold-plated lobbies and for firing people on reality television will be 78 in 2024 if elected Trump. Would tie Joe Biden as the oldest president to take office. His cholesterol levels are unknown, but his favorite food is a charred steak with ketchup. He has stated that his qualifications for office include being a stable genius. <laughs> a post New York Post staff report. Then they have a full two-page editorial. That's way ahead of the actual story on page twenty-eight. It's page twenty. It's page twelve. Trump at a crossroads after all-out gunslinging, and it says, hey, Trump, right off to the sunset. Well, the New York Post obviously is clearly no friend of Donald Trump any longer, but that could change. If you know the New York Post, if you know the relationship they've had with Donald Trump over the years, track it. I certainly have. It's been a love-hate relationship. They make up to break up. They build them up to knock them down. Like Humpty Dumpty, who fell, uh, and then it was all the king's men who put him back together again. Remember that front page uh, just a few days ago? 
their anointed one, their golden boy, the New York Post, is Ron DeSantis, who apparently is attracting uh, the attention of all the former MAGA donors, if you believe the reports, and he's raking in big dough because it looks like he's going to bust out of the gate and take on the Donald and anybody else. Here was DeSantis at a press conference yesterday crowing that he's ahead. You know what he does? He sounds like our own Sid Rosenberg. And yet, I think what you what you learn is all that's just noise. And really what matters is are you leading? Are you getting in front of issues? Uh, are you delivering results for people? And are you standing up for folks? And if you do that, then none of that stuff matters. None of that stuff matters. Wow. You know, I think um, you need a crane to get uh, DeSantis' ego in and out of that room at the governor's office in uh, Tallahassee. They, look, it happens to everybody. Right? He was a little pisher, a little schmendrick, and then all of a sudden, I, uh, he's the golden boy. He can do no wrong. But listen to the vile, despicable Alphonse Ali Boy D'Amato, my enemy for life. Yesterday, he joined the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion, as he often does with John Katzmitzidis presiding. And he took uh, shots at Trump, but then he also took shots at Michael Buttigieg, Rudy Giuliani. Donald Trump is over. I voted for him. I thought he did a good job, but he's an egomaniac. Who wants to blame everybody? They stole my. You're, you're not. Are you not going to Palm Beach tonight to listen to the announcement? <laughs> he lost the election. You lost it. You you you, you stupid ass. And you took and you took Rudy Giuliani's <laughs> advice. You sent him to the Ukraine with a couple of crooks, and they turned out all around. You know. Maybe Aldamada was too busy, Lou, at the bar yesterday knocking back some martinis, and he didn't hear the news that my Kumbaricic, after a three-year-old deal, ordeal, Rudy Giuliani, was exonerated of that lock, stock, and barrel. Uh, we're very grateful that they did the right thing, and uh, that paper uh, definitely says that they investigated you for about three years. And they found nothing to charge you with. Nothing to charge Rudy Giuliani with. Hey, Al D'Amato, you going to apologize to Rudy? It went before grand jury. They found nothing to indict Rudy on for lobbying in the Ukraine, as you accused him of. I think it's incumbent upon you, uh, Alphonse Alleyboy D'Amato, to apologize to my combate chief, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> oh, but wait, Alphonse Alley Boy DeMato wasn't finished yet with Trump. Uh, uh, Trump is a liability to a Republican who wants to become a president of the United States. He, he's absolutely, his ego's out of control. He's out of control. He should be rejected. And I don't care who we take. I think there are a couple of great, outstanding people to take over but i'll tell you this we don't need trump he said Lou, uh, he doesn't care who the republicans pick anybody but trump anybody but john gee was he saying that years ago in 2016 no 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 
because he was making money as a lobbyist, like so many of them. And remember, I'm the only never-Trumper. I was on the good ship SS Rhino in 2016 and was criticized by all these folks, criticized by them. Oh, Curtis, yo, Treditor, you're a never-Trumper. You're on the SS uh, Rhino. Meantime, they're all swimming here now to the SS Rhino. And Lou, tell them all, there's no room on this tugboat for them because they'll capsize it. And I'm not throwing them any life rafts, and I'm not sending out any lifeboats. But then the despicable one emerged again. Shamu! El Jefe! Chris Christie! As he was going up and down the Jersey Shore. From Point Pleasant, which was at his point of departure, down to Wildwood. He was crowing! He was quetching that he had told us all about his former friend, Donald Trump. And it's a, it's a, it's a huge loss for, for Trump. And again, it shows that his political instincts are not about the party. They're not about the country. They're about him. So there's one litmus test. If you say the 2020 election was stolen, I'm with you. And if you don't, I'm not. And your qualifications or your ability to win don't enter the evaluation. Chamu! El Jefe. Chris Christie. Remember there was that point uh, when the uh, Trump aircraft, when he was running in 2016, was uh, on the tarmac in Columbus. And he sent in his number one sickle fan, Toady and Lackey, Christie, out to the local McDonald's. You know, to pick up food for everybody, everybody on the uh, Trump airplane. And Chris Christie got the orders, you know, like 26 quarter pounders with cheese, 30 Big Macs. You know, the fish fillets that Donald Trump loves. You know, the Diet Coke, the supersized fries. When he came back, right, half of the order was missing. <laughs> half of the order was missing. And the Donald looks at Christie and said, you ate the freaking food on the way back? And he said to Donald Trump, well, Donald, I got kind of hungry along the way, and he wanted so desperately to become the chief of staff, the first chief of staff. Remember that? And it was rinsed out previous. He wanted so desperately to be the head of transition for the Trump administration, and then all of a sudden Donald Trump looked at Pence from Indiana and said he's right out of central casting Step aside, Shabu, El Jefe, Chris Christie. And then who is the the first to jump ship here at WABC? A very dear friend of Donald Trump for years. Used to be side by side with him in the battle against MS-13. Congressman Peter King, regular contributor here to the morning show with Sid and obviously the roundtable discussion at five. He threw the Donald right under the bus. The fact is that uh, Donald Trump, the candidates that he selected for the Senate, almost all these guys lost. That's true. No, you're right. I'm, and, just, and, ki- I'm just kidding so, with you. Listen, yeah. he was an excellent president. I voted for him. I supported him. But the fact is that I think people are getting tired of that. And I think the fact that Ron DeSantis won such a big race in, in Florida. I mean, he only won by like a half a point four years ago. Now, let's analyze... Part of the reason that DeSantis won in DeSantis land, Freedom Land, Florida, as you know, Lou, a vast exodus occurred with the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020 out in New York, 
out of New Jersey, out of Connecticut, out of Pennsylvania, down to Florida. And the majority of the people who left and they're continuing to leave are Republicans and conservatives. You may have remembered that it was Andrew Evilize Cuomo who started this, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I. Remember when he said, if you're a conservative or you're a Republican, you need to leave New York State? And then when he had to uh, resign in disgrace, who picked up that battle cry, but it was Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, who said to everybody, if you support Trump, if you support uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, you need to go back. You need to leave and go to Florida, wherever you want to go. Just get the hell out of here. Pack your bags and leave, right? And so many people did. And they were predominantly Republicans, predominantly conservatives, predominantly independents who leaned right. So I think part of DeSantis' 20-point victory over the perpetual politician Charlie Chris. Now, remember, understand Charlie Chris originally as governor was a Republican. And he became an independent. Then he became a Democrat. You never knew who this guy was. He was an enigma. Here it is. He's Florida, and he's using man tan, tan out of a can. And then eventually it became well-known, Macedonian Phil, if you happen to be working for Charlie Chris at the time, never jump into a hot tub with Charlie Chris if you were a guy. Just never did. Even though he was married, he had a beard, right? Everybody knew this guy was a fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi. So I got to assume some of that 20% margin, a great victory for DeSantis against Charlie Chris, was in the fact that so many Republican conservatives and independents leaning right had fled Pennsylvania, Connecticut, with the lockdown and the pandemic of March of 2020, but especially New York and New Jersey. I I, I would say at least 10%. I, I think we can all agree on that. And then again, let's assume that DeSantis is running because they're starting to shovel money at him. The former maggot donors are shoveling massive amounts of money at DeSantis. Now, if it was one-on-one in the primary against Trump, there's a very good possibility he could take out Trump. But you know it will never be limited to one. You know, Ted Cruz in Texas, arrogant, uh, omnipotent, pretentious. I hate that man with a passion. He's going to claim that he was praying and bowing his head with his wife and his father. Remember that Trump claimed uh, actually assisted Lee Harvey Oswald in the assassination of JFK. And that God spoke to him a second time and said, you've got to run for president, Ted. And you know, Pence, with his book out this week, he's going to appeal to all the extreme holy rollers. And he's going to think that his pathway to victory is that he took on Trump. And they're all going to line up, and you're going to have five, six, seven, maybe eight candidates, including Donald Trump. I remind all of you, as you're Trump bashing now for the very first time, <laughs> you're a never-Trumper. Don't swim to my SS Rhino. I was there first in 2016. But in 1978 midterm elections, Ronald Reagan crisscrossed the country for Republicans And Jimmy Carter, a weak president, maintained a majority in the House and the Senate. And they said, that's it for Ronald Reagan. And they all came forward. Bush 41, Bob Dole, Senator Baker out of Tennessee, Lowell Weicker, the independent Republican from Connecticut. They all ran against him and they split the vote. And what happened? Ronald Reagan got the nomination. 
And the guy who was attacking him the most viciously, right, Bush 41, voodoo economics, flipped the script, went from pro-choice to pro-life in eight hours, and all of a sudden, it was love all over again, Reagan and Bush 41. We've been down this road before. Study your history. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Well, you know you make me want to kick my heels up and down. Blast from the past. Back to Animal House, right? Classic movie of debauchery, decadence, and whatever uh, flips your script, you go with it, right? I mean, that was the nature of uh, being in a sorority or fraternity. I, I would know. Remember, I never graduated high school. The Jesuits at Brooklyn Prep shined their boots on my backside in my senior year, 1972, and I never looked back. Never looked back. So I never really had a chance to sample the decadent, debaucherous life as epitomized in uh, Animal House. Between fraternities, sororities, and straight-out debauchery. Well, it turns out, Lou, it turns out that the house, the Animal House, modern day, was right there in the Bahamas. It was the headquarters of FTX. All these graduates of MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, right? Supposedly the brightest. You know, Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, supposedly the brightest. Isn't that incredible that uh, they all were living together and now the girlfriend, or was she, of uh, a guy who has become infamous for white-collar crime, even maybe trumping Bernie Madoff, is Sam Bankman-Fried. Never trust anybody with three names. Who apparently may have stolen as much as $18 billion of investments that people were fighting to make to FTX. In fact, it's interesting we now can trace the downfall. Because you had two companies competing against one another. You had FTX, all the graduates of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, housed in the Bahamas, a tax shelter to protect themselves from any kind of oversight, any kind of transparency. But it didn't matter. People were just like giving money hand over fist. They said, well, you know, you have to, you have to deposit everything in our account, and here's your password. But if you lose your password, guess what, Lou? You lose everything. Oh, please take my money. Take my money, Sam Bankman Freed. Looked like a 15-year-old kid who had just fallen out of his bunk bed in summer camp, disheveled. And remember, there was that interview on MSNBC where the interviewer was like all giggly, like a groupie, like... How did you make so much money? How did you make so much money so quickly? So quickly. MSNBC. Chris Libertini, get the hell out of the studio. Your company is two years old, and you're doing something like $400 billion worth of volume per month 
which is 25 times what you did a year ago. How did you get the uptake uh, at scale so fast? You know, it, it was really just a lot of small things put together, a lot of decisions that we've made around how to build the product, trying to be as responsive as we can to customers, to regulators, to counterparties. And, you know, uh, you know, honestly, from our perspective, it's, it sometimes feels like the world is just going sort of in slow motion around us and that we're going at, you know, about an average speed by our standards. But a peck ahead, right? Hey, Macedonian Phil, like Alexander the Great, that's what all the Macedonians are proud about, right? Get your freaking shield and sword up. Anybody comes into that studio, you chop their head off. What, Chris Libertini had invested in FTX coin and he wanted to see how much more money that sucker and like the rest of you who invested in FTX lost? Listening to this guy, this peckerhead, right, with three names, Sam Bankman Freed. It's like for all of you people who watch movies, it was like listening to the Wikipedia of Dr. Evil. Very well. Where do I begin? My father was a relentlessly self-improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy, the sort of general malaise that only the genius possess and the insane lament. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring, we'd make meat helmets. When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. That's what this guy sounds like, Sam Bankman-Fried. If you look at his biography, just like Dr. Evil. Well, let me give you the backstory because now it all comes out, Lou. When they were making money, they didn't care. People were throwing money at FTX. Yeah, they're geniuses. Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Turns out in the house that they were all living, they all had polygamous relationships. They were fornicating and copulating 24 hours a day. They were swallowing Adderall like it was out, like it was out of commission. By the way, there's a shortage of Adderall because of these guys and gals. They were taking Adderall 247365, which is legal cocaine. And they were taking money and they were swindling it day by day by day. In fact, the girlfriend has been left behind of Sam Bankman Freed. She's 28 to take the rap and she's acknowledged all of that. And she goes, look, we were ranking our sexual partners. People should know where they fall on the ranking. And there should be a vicious power struggle for the higher ranks. It's, the freaks come out at night. They were freaks. Oh, oh, yeah, FTO, oh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin bandits, cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, blockchain criminals. Oh, we couldn't get it enough. Who was that that was claiming we wanted to be the capital of the cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers and Bitcoin bandits. Oh, that's right. Eric Adams, swagger man who has no plan. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. Man, they've been shoveling money at him ever since. They've been bringing the loot to him. And to Suarez, the Republican mayor in Miami, 
who wanted their cities to become the cryptocurrency crime capitals of the world. No regulation. They said there will be no regulation whatsoever. So let me tell you how this downfall occurred. So you have uh, FDX guy, (laughs) Sam Bankman-Fried. Goes and meets with the crown prince of the House of Fraud in Saudi Arabia. The 3,000 princes with the phony mustaches, the phony beards, and the schmatas on their head who claim that they bow to Mecca and Medina five times a day. And when they come to America, they got the knockoff Armani suits, they're chasing trim, and they're knocking back uh, Hennessy, right? They're fakes. So he has a sit-down with the crown prince and all the other princes, and he wants billions of their petrodollars, billions. But he happens to mention that his competitor, Zhao, a, a Chinese guy who has all kinds of investigations going on to him, he runs uh, Binance. He's being investigated by U.S. regulators over illegal trades, crypto derivatives, as well as insider trading and money laundering. This is Zhao. So Zhao hears this. So when he goes to meet with the crown prince, his time to buck and bow and kiss the house of frauds uh, uh, ring. The crown prince tells him, yo, your competitor here. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX says you can't be dependent on, you're a crook. So what does Yao do? He had investments in FTX. He had bought their coin. He cashed it all out. He started the decline. It it was like do or die, high noon. Okay, I'm going to get you, Sam Bankman-Fried, before you get me. And that's why this is like a house of cards, ladies and gentlemen. This is what is happening And everybody out there promoting Bitcoin, or bandits, cryptocurrency, your Ponzi schemers, blockchain, your criminals. And yet it continues. The attitude is, oh, survival of the fittest. And you know what they're going to want? You know what they're going to want? They're going to want a bailout. the money. Hey, Macedonian Phil, get in here. Do your job. Oh, my God, man. Between Chris and Macedonian Phil, I'm going to strangle these guys. Anyway, um, they're going to want a bailout now. They're going to want the feds to come in and give them our money, tax dollars, at no expense. That's right. Just like it was in 2008, they're going to claim this quantitative easing. They're going to claim there are all kinds of checks and balances They're going to end up giving them billions and billions of our hard-earned tax dollars because they turned out to be crooks. And people were going to want some money back like they did with Bernie Madoff. Remember Bernie Madoff? They came running at Bernie Madoff. Take my money. Take my money. No, no, can't take your money. It's the same mistake all over again. Meantime, it's interesting that Andrew evilized Cuomo. King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, like a vampire, is trying to come out of his crypt. He's trying to resurrect himself. Just about once a week, I hear him emerge on the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion with John Katsimatidis and all of his guests and the many co-hosts that he has. Most recently, Andrew Evilized Cuomo became a born-again Law and order Democrat. I don't know why the Democrats, and this is nationwide, 
I don't know why they can't be more aggressive addressing the issue of crime. You can be a progressive, but you still understand that job one is public safety. And I said over and over again, you can't do revisionism. You can't all of a sudden rewrite the script, Andrew Evilized Cuomo. You were the author of No Bail. You were the author of No Cash Bail. You pushed it through the Assembly. You pushed it through the State Senate. You could have vetoed it. You chose to push it through, and you said, I'm the author of it. So that's strike one. Strike two, 16,000 elderly people died under your watch when you issued that executive order that sent them from the hospitals with COVID, actually coronavirus at the time, and you sent them back to the long-term nursing homes for care, and it spread like wildfire. That's strike two. And now, strike three, the mouse, Tom DiNapoli. He's always quiet there. The state controller of New York just got reelected. Little mousey Tom DiNapoli, who reports to nobody. He's the only controller anywhere in the country, whether for a municipality or a state, that has no board of directors to report to. And for years, he covered this up for Andrew Evilized Cuomo. For years, he covered it up. But now that Cuomo's trying his resurrection, all of those guys who are quietly on the sidelines, who are at the beck and call of Andrew Evilized Cuomo, are coming out to make sure the vampire does not rise again. He just issued a report that $11 billion of our taxpayer cash was stolen in jobless claims during the height of COVID-19 from the state of New York. And he says, we warned Cuomo back in 2010 that unemployment insurance system was out of date and difficult to maintain and that it lacked the agility necessary to adjust to new laws and the scalability to handle workload surges. That was in 2010. And then in March of 2020, the lockdown and pandemic, the surge came after the State Department of Laird dawdled under Cuomo and overhauling the unemployment system. Remember it crashed Remember, people couldn't get their money that they had been promised. And then all of a sudden, they just started doling out $11 billion. And the white-collar criminals came out and just started putting their beak in the trough. <laughs> hey, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, you can't rewrite history. You're a crook. And then here's Andrew. Excuse me. Here is uh, his very dear friend who's had now... Uh, Two dinners with him in Midtown Manhattan, the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, who has increased our budget to $104 billion, even though he initiated across-the-board budget cuts. We are facing a $10 billion deficit next year. And all of a sudden, he would not criticize Biden for the surge at the border or Hochul. He sucked it up. He said because it was the right thing to do. Now listen to him. Now listen to him. The election is over. And what does Eric Adams want? We spent a great deal of money for a national problem, and we're looking for reimbursement and assistance from the state and from the federal government. So what is his battle cry again? Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. Meantime, you took money out of the NYPD budget, you scoundrel. 
you so-called law and order mayor, you took money out of the budget. This is after de Blasio and the city council took a billion dollars out of their budget. This guy doesn't do pivot and shift. He does flip-flop. Just listen to what he says from day to day. And remember, he anointed himself the Biden of Brooklyn. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Talk radio, that's for sure. Number one news talk station in the nation. This might as well, Lou, be the theme song for Sid Rosenberg in the mornings, Monday through Friday from 6 to 10, as he has pulsated ahead of all the competition. And I was reading the New York Times, the old gray lady today. There's a guy in town from Venezuela. He was a talk show host in Caracas every day, morning, noon, and night. He looks for a job. You can tell this guy's hungry. That's what you have to be in order to be successful in talk radio. You have to always be hungry. Every day you come in, it's got to be better than the day before. And I will tell you that um, Sid Rosenberg is starting to feel the pressure. Just listen to his uh, riff the other morning because I listen four hours a morning, five, five days a week, just like all of you should. In fact, when you hear this, you got to rat out Sid to me. Please, rat him out to me. So, like, you can put on Curtis's show, there'll be a call about Sid. You can put on Frank Morano's show at 5 o'clock in the morning, some more, and I'll be calling me an idiot. And they call all day. Every show. Sid said this. Sid does that. Sid, Sid, Sid. And the reason for that is he is number one. Yesterday, I had an opportunity to sit down with Matt Meany and crunch the numbers for the past year. Since my return from the mayoral campaign, you may have remembered I was back on air five days after I lost to Eric Adams in November. And I took out this guy named Frankie Russo on the weekends. Oh, person of no consequence. He was full of himself. Whack! And then Frank Morano was talking about, right, Lou, he's the ratings king. Uh, yeah, 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 sure. You keep thinking that, Frank. And I paced myself, and I saw Frank in the summer get soft, get weak become a slacker, a deadbeat, and he took uh, he took off three weeks out, out of two months, Lou. And when I went upstairs to the big suits, I said, and, and who does he want to replace him? Frank had given a list of like 72 people who had worked at WABC before, all of whom were fired. Because in typical talk radio in the world, you're neurotic, you're unsure, so whoever you have replaced you, you don't want to be anywhere near as good as you. So I said, guys, no, I'm here. What do you got me here for? I'll do the Frank Morano show. And I did it for three weeks. And that built my numbers up. And, Lou, a month ago, I whizzed past him. You don't hear Frank Morano talking about, oh, I'm numb no more. And then just yesterday, as I crunched the numbers with Matt Meany, we looked at the stream. And I passed Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly's on 1215, does a great job. 
uh, and I'm on 12-15 to 1. But I passed him by. You know why I passed him by, Lou? Who is that schmuck, that pisher, that Nordwell he has on from San Diego when he takes his vacations? The guy is the worst talk show host I've ever heard. In fact, they fired him in San Diego. He's now relegated to a podcast. Hey, pal, my, my dentist and my plumber have a podcast. And yet he's on substituting for O'Reilly. So I just blew past O'Reilly. But now it's Sid. There's only two guys here at WABC who understand the essence of talk radio. Lou, you understand this because you were with the Giants. All of those contributors on the Imus in the Morning show were genius. They were quick, witty, fast. Each promoted one another. And as you know, uh, Sid adores Howard Stern, another great talk show host. I was weaned on the king of talk radio, Bob Grant. And so now we're going back and forth. We joined together in solidarity to talk about how Tom Sullivan and his assembly manic race out in the Rockaways, they're trying to steal the election from him. We're together in solidarity, but I'm at odds with it. Every day I call up Rudy Giuliani. I tell him, Lou, don't take the meeting with Eric Adams. And it's like he's at the Friars Club, the old Friars Club. Rudy then gets a call from Sid. You got to take the meeting. Then I call back. No, you don't. Yes, you do. Poor Rudy. It's like he's having vertigo. But now I got I to gotta come after Sid. I'm so far behind. My God, this guy has lapped the competition. But it may take me two years. But I got to beat Sid. Because he's the straw that stirs the drink here at WABC. I see it in the analytics. I'm so far behind. But I'm coming for you, Sid, no matter how much time it takes.